Hello and welcome to Surveyor Says, the podcast from the National Society of Professional Surveyors. Each week, we bring you fascinating guests that are involved in the profession of surveying. We cover a lot of ground, including table lay talk with Gary Kent, point of order with the NSPS Joint Government Affairs Team, future focus, highlighting current and future leaders of the profession, and everything survey-related in between. Thanks for joining us here on the podcast and hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Surveyor Says. Hello and welcome to another episode of Surveyor Says. This is your host, Tim Birch. And yes, I'm finally back in the office. It's been a little bit of a whirlwind tour between FIG and uh, we've been on the road with fall business meetings and a lot of conferences. Uh, but today we have the pleasure uh, of talking about something that's actually very important to all surveyors, um, whether they know it or not. Uh, and that is the Brooks Act. And uh Bottom line is, is that it really affects a lot of the work that goes on in the surveying profession, and it's the 50th anniversary on, correct me if I'm wrong, John, October 27th uh, is the 50th anniversary of the Brooks Act and how this whole procedures come together really to protect what should be QBS and having the appropriate, um, having the appropriate parties do uh do not just survey work, but a lot of professional procurement. So, um, of course, um, we're, uh, we're talking to our, to our good buddy, John. Um, uh, John P., what uh, you've been involved with the, the, the Brooks Act for a long time. Um, tell us, you know, really how this thing came about and why it's still so important and so relevant to today's today's environment of, 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 of business. Well, thank you, Tim. Um, my involvement with the Brooks Act, with qualifications-based selection uh, today, um, is uh, manifest in several hats that I wear. Obviously, NSPS and ACSM before it has long endorsed qualifications-based selection as a matter of policy, uh, NSPS is a member of COFPACE, the Council on Federal Procurement of Architectural and Engineering Services, and in other organizations with which I am involved, uh, all are supportive of qualifications-based selection, which is codified in federal law in what we call the Brooks Act. The uh, October 27th is the 50th anniversary of the day President Nixon signed that bill into law, and it became the law of the land. Contrary to some people's impressions, I was not around and lobbying <laughs> and involved in government affairs on October 27th, 1972. I was, uh, I was beginning my senior year in high school. And it wasn't until a few years later when I came to Washington that I learned about uh, the Brooks Act, but have become very much involved uh, ever since. And uh, as I like to say, the unofficial mission statement of COFPACE is to preserve, protect, defend, and promote qualifications-based selection. So the, the, the 
Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was go- no, that's that's great. No, I'm thinking back to 1972 and it goes to a previous conversation uh, of ours and, and probably an Alex P. Keaton moment of yours in high <laughs> school. Um, you, know, I, and you know what? I would be amiss. For those who may be new to the podcast and haven't heard our previous conversations, John Palatiello, Miller Winhold, uh, they, Capital Strategies, ca- yeah. middle, yes, Miller Winhold Capital Strategies, they are our legislative consultants for the for anything federal. And so I apologize if I didn't, you know, it you've become such just a normal fixture between you and JB, you know, and I say, you know, we say JB and John P local here. And I, I shouldn't have just uh, rounded it off to that, that uh, <laughs> what you, what you and, and, and JB and Miller Winhold provide is, is such a, uh, been a, such a great service that um, I, I do, do need to give you props and credits for that. But no, I, I was thinking back to our earlier conversations when you're talking about senior in high school and you're, and you're, you're Alex P Keaton. So if, if you're too old <laughs> to remember that, know that, Google it. You'll get a laugh about it because Michael J. Fox was was very, very good in that role. But uh, I can I can completely see you in that. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you an interesting story. When I went to work for I, as you know, Tim, and maybe some members of our audience know, um, I was a political science major, went to college at the American University in Washington, D.C. I grew up in Connecticut, came to Washington to go to college and never left. I got a bad case of atomic fever and and here I am these many years later. Um, after or During and after college, I worked on Capitol Hill and then moved off the hill to go to work for ACSM in 1982. Um, until that point in time, I did not know what the Brooks Act was. I'd never heard of it, never dealt with it when I worked in Congress. Um, and all these years, it has been a very little known law outside of our community. Uh, it doesn't have a high profile on Capitol Hill. I, I have a very interesting story that the very first day I went to work at the old ACSM, I was shown to my office and my desk and sitting on my desk on that very first day was one of these pink telephone message uh, pieces of paper that I was to call uh, a fellow who became a good friend and professional colleague, was a member of, of ACSM and NSPS, a fellow named N.K. Miles. N.K. Miles was at the time the uh, surveying and mapping coordinator in the office of the chief of engineers at the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. And this message said, call M.K. Miles. Lawyers have said the Brooks Act does not apply to surveying and mapping. And so my baptism by fire in government <laughs> affairs for the surveying profession was on the Brooks Act. And um, uh, so there we are. But uh, to go back, the, the, the Brooks Act provides for the qualifications-based selection of competing firms to provide architecture, engineering, and related services, including surveying and mapping. At the time that it was enacted in 1972, it was really out of the norm of federal procurement. In those days, uh, federal procurement was price competition and lowest bid. So the, I like to say the Brooks Act was for things like best value and past performance before those things were cool. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Now, we have had attorneys do research and we can trace the origins of procurement of surveying services on the basis of something other than price back to the Civil War era. There are attorney general opinions that date back to the 1860s that say mm. it is in the public interest. Uh, in fact, it is more in the public interest to have fidelity and trust in the surveyor, the engineer that's doing work for the government than it is to have the lowest price. And so um, what happened in the early 1970s was what was then the uh, Government Accounting Office, GAO, now called the Government Account General Accounting Office. It's been so mm -hmm. long, I've <laughs> forgotten. GAO, now the Government Accountability Office. They came out with a ruling that said that um, this qualification selection that the agencies were using, they really had no legal authority to do so. They had been doing it for over 100 years, but um, there's really no law that authorizes them to do something other than lowest bid. And so Congressman Jack Brooks, uh, a Democrat from Texas, was chairman of the what was then called the House Committee on Government Operations. That was the committee that had overall government uh, oversight, including procurement. He uh, worked with the A&E community. And, um, and as a result of that, a coalition called COFPACE was formed and uh, put together legislation that ultimately passed that codified at that time, public law 92582, um, the statute that's now found in Title 40 of the U.S. Code uh, starting in Section 1100, and it lays out a process where firm, highly competitive public notice firms submit their resumes, their experience, their relevant projects, and then the agency uh, evaluates firms on that basis, ranks firms, conducts interviews, and selects the most qualified firm. And at that point, price becomes a factor where the goal is to arrive through negotiation at a fee that is fair and reasonable to the government. And in a nutshell, that's the Brooks Act. So for 50 years now, it has been um, literally the law of the land. Uh, had some hiccups in those early years. And then in 1988, we passed the only amendments ever to the Brooks Act to clarify and specify the words surveying and mapping in the definition of those services to which the law applies. Oh, exactly. And, and, and one thing I, I like that, that, that you've always been a, a, a strong proponent in within the Brooks Act, and really the, a good way to explain it, um, when it comes to surveying, surveying architecture, structural engineering, I mean, the whole, the whole gamut that really falls under the Brooks Act is that you wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want to drive across a bridge that's built on, a, on low bid low bid design that uh bottom line is that uh it, it is about qual quality based selection and finding competent uh consultants out there that will will do will do this work um and yeah because unfortunately yes low bid is always going to be an, an issue and unfortunately that's i think in surveying we have that probably a lot more prevalent than architectural engineering but um that's what I guess I've always liked about uh, about your explanations on how the Brooks Act works and why it works. 
Well, and it, it actually goes a little bit beyond that, Tim. You're absolutely right. Um, but it does go a little bit beyond that. It, it's, it, yeah, is it good for the profession? Yes. Is it, is it the way as professionals uh, we should or should aspire to compete? Yes. But it really is about public health, welfare, and safety. No, you wouldn't want to draw, drive across a bridge that was designed by the low bidder. You would not want your flood mapping done by the low bidder. Uh, that puts your property, your health, welfare, and safety in jeopardy. And so um, whether it's services that ultimately um, result in construction or it's some other government activity that is dependent on a survey or a map or an architectural drawing or an engineering study, it is in the public interest to invest in that quality because there are so many other activities that are going to be dependent on that data. Now, in the scenario of construction, let's say you're, you're constructing a building, the A&E fee ends up being one-tenth of 1% 1 of the life cycle cost of that building. Doesn't mm -hmm. it make common sense to make an investment in quality in that one-tenth of 1% 1 because that's going to determine the cost efficiency, the energy efficiency, the, the utilization of that building over time, over the life of that building. That's really why it's good public policy to have qualifications-based selection for these services. Oh, exactly. And it, it, you said, and you're right. It doesn't, it doesn't just start, start and stop with the, with the engineering and the architecture. It, does all of that all of that consulting work and all of that design falls upon the the engine the surveying services that we provide and you don't want to have the the best possible design of engineering and architecture on surveying information surveying and mapping information that doesn't doesn't pass muster that doesn't meet those qualifications so in the in the debate yes. on the brooks act in 1972 on the floor of the united states senate Senator Jennings Randolph of West Virginia, who was the chairman of the Environment and Public Works Committee, uh, rose on the floor of the Senate that said, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, I should have the quote in front of me so I can read it, but I, I've almost committed it to memory. But he made the point that if you ask any 10 AEs to bid on a project, they, they will bid, but they would cut corner on their corner, cut corners on their field surveys in order to be the low bidder. So he hit the nail on the head on the relationship between the surveying and the follow-on design services and the importance of those field surveys in the integrity and the price realism of the project all the way through. Yeah, and that's un and you're right, and and unfortunately, yeah, having been in private the private side for for many years, um, and working worked for several multidiscipline firms, yeah, unfortunately, the, the the surveying a lot of times was the loss leader going into a full package, um, which that's one reason I do appreciate the Brooks Act and really for a lot of these public, uh, publicly funded projects that it makes it makes total sense that we have uh have a legislation and a, and, a, and a process like this that needs to be met because you're exactly right the 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 health and sa health safety and welfare of the public is is paramount in all of this 
And let's remember, uh, while we have heretofore been talking about federal procurement, um, since the Brooks Act became law in 1972, the American Bar Association brought the best contract attorneys, best procurement lawyers in the country together, wrote a model procurement code for state and local government. They included qualifications-based selection, uh, specifically mentioning not only architecture, engineering, but surveying in that model code. Um, there are only a handful of states that do not have a quote, mini Brooks Act at the state level. Um, more than 45 of the 50 states have a mini Brooks Act. We still have a couple uh, where there's some work to be done. There are others that don't have it in law, uh, but still basically follow that process. So for, for public sector uh, contracting at any level, federal, state, or local, it is the norm uh, out in the marketplace and, and with good reason for the reasons that discussed a moment ago right exactly that, that was going to be one of my next questions is how does this filter down to the the state and local governments um so when we're talking about mini brooks acts within a state um how far does that does that policy reach down at at to how far down in government can does that realistically go it depends the on the, it depends on the state tim Okay. Um, in some states, I, I happen to live in the Commonwealth of Virginia, and Virginia is what's known as a Dillon rule state. What that basically means is local government does not have any authority that has not been assigned to them by the state legislature. Okay. So, for example, if, the, um, if a local government wanted a bid surveying work, it could not pass an ordinance to do that unless it was authorized to pass that ordinance by the state legislature. So therefore the state laws flow down to the localities. In other states, the localities have their own independent authority. So in those states, a state mini Brooks Act would not necessarily flow down to the localities. Okay. But again, American Bar Association promulgated a model procurement code for state and local government and there are a number of local entities that have adopted the aba model code and included in that is qualifications based selection for surveying uh, as well as architecture and engineering and and others may have adopted a brooks act at the local level even if they did not adopt the entire aba model code exactly okay good that's good to know because there's always a question about that i i've received throughout uh throughout my time in 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 uh in association work is how far down does the does the brooks act a lot of times go and and, and you i think your explanation of, of de depends right. <laughs> on the state and and how, how far down that filters because there's always questions about you know with federal money with with state money with county money with township money right. how far this has to has to really go down besides just being good business practice. Right. Well, there's two things in response. Number one, mm -hmm. um, the Brooks Act itself at the federal level only applies to direct federal procurement. Now, we have been successful over the years of attaching Brooks Act language to the highway program. So if federal money is flowing down to your state DOT, the state DOT has to use the Brooks Act uh, unless the state is opted out. Um, Airport money flows down, Brooks Act flows 
with it. Uh, Superfund hazardous waste money, it flows down. So we have been successful in attaching that Brooks Act language to grant programs, but we've had to do it one by one. The Brooks Act does not automatically apply to every federal grant dollar that flows down to the state level. I would hasten to add one other point that I'm sure many of our members uh, may be aware of. There are a number of states where their licensing board has promulgated an ethics regulation that licensed professionals should not attempt to secure work on the basis of price. So it's not only good public policy from the standpoint of procurement, but uh, a number of the licensing boards have recognized that there's an ethical uh, aspect to this as well. And even on private work, a licensed professional in some states cannot compete on the basis of price. It has to be on qualifications. So the point is that in the 50 years since we've had the Brooks Act, the concept of awarding contracts for these services on the basis of qualifications really has sort of permeated the marketplace. And it is really viewed as the, uh, the desirable and acceptable way to contract for such a professional service. Well, and something you touched on earlier, and because what we're really talking about a lot of, when we're talking about public projects, you know, roads, bridges, uh, government, you know, federal government funded things. I mean, this also applies to the Forest Service and FEMA mapping and really anything that's that's federally funded for surveying and mapping for, for our perspective. All of these things need to fall under the uh, fall under the Brooks Act. So when when our our members, our professionals see these uh, uh, these listings for for potential jobs and they don't list this as QBS and following the, the Brooks Act, that there really needs to be, I mean, it's good that they bring it to our attention and we're able to work with those agencies to make sure that they realize that they understand that this needs to follow the Brooks Act uh, for, having, for having these services uh, uh, fulfilled. Yes. So number one, uh, the Brooks Act is not limited to construction-related services. So there could be an engineering study uh, there could be some testing. There could be services that are needed before a decision for construction may or may not be made. Uh, secondly, um, it has been litigated and settled that a boundary survey does fall under the Brooks Act. Um, so you, you, you make a very good point. The, um, the other point is uh, that you touched on is we have a, a system in NSPS. I kind of, um, I saw this as a slogan in New York City after 9-11. After if you see something, say something. Well, if an NSPS member sees a procurement that is the practice of surveying and doesn't require a licensed surveyor, if it is a professional surveying service and it's by a federal agency, um, or a state agency where there's a mini Brooks Act and they're not following QBS, bring those to our attention. We will contact that agency. We will point out the error in the way they're doing business. We will keep the identity of the individual who brought it to our attention. We will keep that anonymous. We will um, educate that government agency 
on behalf of NSPS, not using the name of any individual. And we have a very good track record of uh, straightening out those kinds of procurements once we uh, bring to their attention what the requirements under the law and regulations are. So it's a very effective way for us to be able to help our members police the system and make sure that everyone is doing business the way that they are required to do so uh, under the relevant law and regulations. All right. So we've got 50 years under our belts with uh, with the Brooks Act. Um, do you see any challenges, changes, or is this just good policy that really needs to be defended and, and, and pushed forward? In the 50 years since the Brooks Act passed, um, we've only had one frontal legislative attack in Congress. We had a member of Congress in the uh, mid to late 1980s who went to the floor of the House and, and tried to repeal the Brooks Act, inject price competition. That was summarily defeated on the floor of the House. We've never had a challenge like that since. What we've seen, though, Tim, is a much more subtle attempt to erode the Brooks Act. Things like the GSA schedule, where you have a different type of procurement method, it is price-based, and the scope of services that fall under those contracts um, uh, create a bit of a threat to uh, QBS. So that's number one. Number two is, uh, you know, we always talk about that we have a workforce development challenge in surveying. Well, the government has a workforce development challenge with contracting officers. And there are fewer and fewer people working government doing the buying and they're buying more and more. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it is a constant uh, uh, requirement that we are educating folks in government about the Brooks Act and encouraging training of contracting officers on the Brooks Act process so that they're properly uh, implementing it. Then you have a different project delivery methods, design build, uh, a public-private partnership. Those raise questions as to how do you procure the yes. AV services because they're not direct federal, they are bundling the design right. with the construction. So the, again, these are more subtle uh, challenges to QBS. Pace is addressing all of them. These things take time. They are not the kinds of problems that uh, result in overnight solutions. But um, that's the reason why uh, NSPS, to its credit, is a member of Pace. That's why we have a Pace, And that's why Pace has been so effective in defending and preserving and perpetuating the Brooks Act now for 50 years. Well, I've got one last question, and hopefully this doesn't open a, a significant can of worms because we're talking about procurement of professional services. In some of these places where the states are looking at legislation to try to basically roll back licensure, uh, eliminate licensure, deregulation, um, how do you see that that, I mean, if, if, if something would get rolled back in a state and to where technically then surveying is now then not a licensed profession in a particular state doesn't that open a, a just a real uh pandora's box with with the with the brooks act on on 
professional services? It, it does. If the logic uh, is we don't need to license a professional, anybody can go out and do a survey. You can get a handheld GPS and you know do it yourself. I mean, if that is the prevailing point of view, then that uh, that sort of erodes the idea that we ought to do public procurement on the basis of qualifications. And if somebody thinks that you can go out and get a survey uh, done yourself, then then what's the uh, what's the compelling reason for not doing a low bid when you go out and just you can just hire anyone? So yes, I think there is a bit of a nexus there, and. Um, so preservation of the licensure is important. The Brooks Act ties itself to licensure. The federal government in its wisdom, Congressman Jack Brooks, he didn't come up with a whole new scheme uh, for uh, establishing even baseline qualifications. He defines a firm that's eligible to do A&E and surveying mapping services, one that is authorized by state law to provide those mm -hmm. services. So he ties it back uh, to the existing um, system of professional licensure that we've had for many, many years in this country in architecture, in engineering, and in surveying. So, uh, yeah, so I guess the message I, I'm hearing here is, you know, let's not rest on our laurels, keep defending the, the whole, the whole reason that we have professional licensing. And uh, you know, cause it's, it's, it's all uh, it's all intertwined here to where it's really providing that service uh, you know, protecting the, the health safety and welfare of the public with the expertise of the surveying and mapping profession as well. So it all works together and we, we can't, we cannot, uh, rest and, and let, let some of this stuff uh, start eroding away that professionalism. No, as that great surveyor, Thomas Jefferson once said, eternal vigilance is the price of Liberty. Uh, <laughs> we, we have to uh, uh, always be an advocate, always be willing to stand up. Um, but I think it's entirely appropriate that uh, at this uh, moment in time, we recognize 50 years of, of success uh, at a time when our trust in government and government institutions and government processes is probably at an all-time low, we can point to this as a law that works and has served our country well for now half a century. Well, exactly. Well, uh, we appreciate your diligence. We appreciate uh, how active you have been in preserving what uh, the Brooks Act stands for and, and working with a lot of our professionals across the country that you know, like you said, occasionally there's agencies that that uh, don't quite know how things are really supposed to work in accordance with the Brooks Act, and we're able to help guide them and lead them back back to the right path. So, uh, the work that uh, you and your staff have done over the years is uh, is a thankless job, but we're going to try to thank you a little bit. And 50 years is uh, is a pretty pretty big uh, pretty big accomplishment for this act. Very good. Well, thank you. Thank you for those kind words. Well, that'll wrap us up for this week uh, on Surveyor Says. We thank John for making this time and once again, applaud uh, 50 Years of the Brooks Act. And if you see, like, you, like John said, if you see something, say something, because a lot of these agencies sometimes don't, don't understand what the Brooks Act is all about. So, uh, and, and uh, both NSPS and John and his staff are there to help uh, make sure that we go down these roads. So uh, 
thanks a lot, John. We'll actually, we'll probably want to catch up again with you shortly after all of the midterm elections, uh, the dust settles and see what happens and see where things are going to go. Uh, we've still got uh, a few other legislative things kind of hanging in the balance out there and we'll, we'll definitely want to catch up with you shortly, but, um, so that'll wrap us up for this week. Uh, if you, wherever you listen to the podcast, uh, hit that like button and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. You've been listening to the Surveyor Says podcast brought to you by the National Society of Professional Surveyors. If you have any questions about today's episode or any other topic, please email us at info at nsps.us.com and we are here to help. Visit our website, nsps.us.com, to learn more about our association, the programs we administer and support, our sustaining members, and information about future episodes of Surveyor Says. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, as well as our podcast host, Podbean. And remember, it's a great day to be a surveyor. Surveyor.